1: Super Speedway, the final restrictor plate race.
2: Drivers, start your engines and get
1: lit. Green is in the air. We're underway. Oh, look out. We have spin. 48, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson. Johnson. And it has been a Stuart Haas-dominated race. Oh,
3: we got a spin. Got him go back
1: straightway. Kyle Larson around. And Kevin Harvick wins stage two. Jamie McMurray into the outside wall and plowed into the grass and is stuck in the infield. So we got a crash in the back here in turn four. In the turn four, the Come out. It's gonna go to overtime. One more time around. Will it happen?
4: Presented by Mobile One, Carol Lemano Nate Ryan, and our Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett with you from Charlotte. The end of the race is where we are going to start today. A lot to discuss. It was pretty crazy. Let's pick it up with three laps to go. Stuart Haas racing way out in front. That was a familiar scene Sunday. The rest of the field in their wake, desperate to try to catch him. But Alex Bowman in the 88 getting loose, causing a multi-car crash and bringing out the caution. And DJ, that would set up overtime right before the restart. A number of cars all having to pit for fuel.
2: Yeah, these drivers had their hands full with the handling of the cars, but then as they were coming to, for this final restart, uh, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Blaney all had to duck onto Pitt pit road. They were out of fuel. And then uh, with after getting the white flag, we see this accident take place down in turn one. A lot of people wondered why they didn't throw the caution, but uh, never was it mentioned. Drivers had to race back here, Nate.
5: Yeah, and then unfortunately for Kurt Busch, cars weren't finished running out of fuel he runs out of fuel while in the lead, and that hands the victory to his teammate, Eric Amarola. Kurt Busch doesn't get that elusive first win at Talladega. It goes to Eric Amarola instead.
4: Eric Amarola running fourth behind all of his teammates for the majority of the day. But man, did he pass him on the high side when it counted as he goes on to his first Cup Series win in four seasons. A validating win for Amarola and Stuart Haas Racing. Eric Amarola ended a 149 race winless streak and all four SHR drivers now have wins in 2018. His teammate Clint Boyer finished runner-up. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finishing third to lead the non-playoff drivers. Sunday's finish left a lot of playoff drivers with bad results. Kurt Busch's fuel woes sending him to 14th at the finish and then Martin Truex Jr. ended up in 23rd after getting damaged in that last lap crash. Amarola, on the other hand, through to the round of eight. That is so awesome at Talladega.
3: You guys are awesome, man. I've been so close so many times this year and the Smithfield team, everybody believing in me. Tony Stewart, Gene Haas for giving me a chance. Ha. Uh, four or five times this year, I feel like we've had a shot to win and haven't been able to seal the deal. And to, to come here, a place that I love. I've uh, I won an Xfinity race here last year and I just love racing at Talladega. And I came to the track with the mindset that we're gonna go race and we're gonna go give them hell. And if we wreck, we wreck. And if we win, we win. And we won. You did it, buddy. And we won. And what a, what a cool, what a cool time to do it too. Smithfield did this awesome promotion with Bacon for Life. Somebody's going to win Bacon for Life. Literally, Bacon for Life. What a team effort, too. There's 400 employees back at Stuart Haas Racing. There's close to 200 employees at Roush Yates Engine Shop. Thank you. Uh, this, is, this was an incredible race. The four of us were so committed to each other and so organized. and I, I know, but The field couldn't touch us. It was us against the field. And uh, what an impressive run by Stuart Haas racing. So I'm just proud to be the one on top today. What do you want to say to these fans? I love you guys, man. This is awesome. Woo! I can't believe it. We finally did it. Finally. Congratulations, buddy. We'll see you in victory lane. Thank you. I can't wait to go see my guys, my pit crew, my guys that work on this car. They deserve it, man. They bring such awesome race cars to the track. And I feel like I've let them down more than anybody, more than Myself, I feel like I've let them down so many times because we've had so many opportunities to win and haven't done it. So uh, this one's for them, man. I can't wait to go celebrate with them, and hopefully there's some cold beer over there for me to have. You
4: got it, buddy. <laughs> that is why we do the burnout interview. That energy simply cannot be replicated. Almirola joining Chase Elliott in the round of eight, entering next week's elimination race at Kansas. They are only the two drivers who have locked themselves in. Penske teammates Brad Keselowski and Ryan Blaney entered Talladega above the cut line, both find themselves in red, with just one race left, in the round of 12. And, Nate, validation seems like exactly the right word for Eric Amarola, especially because at the forefront of his mind right. after the bacon challenge and saying <laughs> that this is awesome, this is amazing, he went straight to his teammates saying that he he feels like he has let them down time and time again.
5: Right, and he becomes the fourth driver at Stuart Haas Racing to win, but most importantly, the fourth driver to win in his first year with the team, and that compounded with the fact that, he almost won Daytona, he almost won New Hampshire, he almost won at Dover, he almost won at Chicagoland. I mean, so many near misses at the team where he was expected to win, and everybody else already had one. Uh, you could just see the, the weight lifted off his shoulders.
4: DJ, it's hard for somebody that's not a driver to understand what it's like to snap a winless streak that is as large as the one that Eric Amarola was finally able to break. I mean, what help us understand what that means to a driver.
2: Yeah, you know, every drive, all of these drivers are, are good race drivers that you put out there. But what we're seeing is that there's a lot of excellent drivers that, given the right opportunity, uh, can get the job done. And I think that Eric Almirola, you see Clint Boyer there this year uh, with with Stuart Haas also. Uh, they've been put in the right situations, you know, and, and trying to find that right mix for a driver, uh, you just never know when that is. You keep trying to put yourself in that position. And, you know, Clint Boyer uh, went a year at least there uh, where he was not in contention whatsoever, but he knew what was on the horizon for him and he was willing to take that chance. Eric Almirola uh, spent some time at Joe Gibbs Racing and and then moved over to Richard Petty Motorsports and and just basically uh, leveraged everything to, to go have the opportunity at Stuart Haas. So these guys find themselves in good position. He got there at the right time. Uh, from a driver's mindset, you know, you, you you like to think that you can close the deal about 25 to 30% of the time. Well, Eric said that there were four other chances. This was his fifth chance to make that happen. That's 20%. When you do that, that's pretty good, uh, especially with the level of competition now. But the the weight lifted off of his shoulders, just incredible. Moving on to the next round, you could see and hear the excitement in his voice for good reason. Uh, He didn't come into this year thinking about being one of the eight drivers in the round of eight. He came in just wanting the opportunity to compete at a high level. He's been able to do that and he's shown it's not just restrictor plate tracks. I know that's where his two wins have come but he's put himself in position at other tracks and and that's what makes him dangerous in these playoffs. I will say this the winner at Kansas next week that we interview uh, at the start finish line they've got a tall order. Eric just gave away bacon for life. I don't know how you top that.
4: (laughs) By the way you at home can still enter that competition we found out last night on victory lap you have until december to try to win bacon for life it's something we're very excited about here on victory lap on sunday night uh like we just saw in the highlights a lot was made after the race about nascar's decision not to throw that caution that would have ultimately affected kurt bush and ryan blaney so let's hear from both of those drivers along with nascar's executive vice president steve o'donnell
6: we run about three extra laps under caution for some reason i don't know why Um, That ended up running us out. I don't know. I thought we saved enough. Apparently not. But um, just a full hard day worth of work uh, ruined the last two laps.
2: There was two missed calls, though, about NASCAR at the end. Why would we have an extra yellow flag lap? Beyond me, the track was ready to go. And at the end, you know, once we cross the white flag, if there's a wreck and an ambulance needs to be dispatched, I've been on the other side of that, where I was racing, coming back to win the race. And I said, well, we had to dispatch an ambulance.
6: There was two cars dead in the water down there. Chase Elliott's safety is of my concern, and so
2: was the 32 car. So it's a, it's a human call. There's, there's rules that need to be stricter at the end of these races.
1: We're running a race, you know, we're not monitoring each individual team's communication on where they're at on fuel. If we did, a lot of them uh, wouldn't actually be telling the truth at times during the race as well as to where they are. It was a caution that we moved as quickly as possible. Uh, Once we were able to open pit road, we did, and then ran through the normal cycle. The race on Saturday was in front of the field. You saw. You know, a couple wheels get off the ground, and anytime you're going to have more and more of the field driving into that caution, we felt the need in that case to, uh, to throw the caution. And, you know, we always want to try and end under green, but in that case, we just felt like we couldn't. And then on Sunday, you know, very similar in terms of, you know, a car hitting the wall, but where it happened was different uh, in terms of, you know, where the field was. The car that, uh, the 32 car, then kept rolling which is certainly a sign for us that uh, we're okay to keep going. The nine car, where it stopped was right in front of our safety vehicles and and had communication from the tower that uh, that car was in good shape. So we elected to uh, not throw the caution and and finish under green. Our first job is always to make sure everybody's safe, and we felt like we did that in this case. Certainly go back and and review it like we always do, but uh, you know, stand by the call and thought it was the right one.
4: That was O'Donnell appearing on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio's The Morning Drive a little bit earlier today. Uh, DJ, you hear the explanation there. Was this the right decision?
2: Yeah, in my opinion. Uh, and let's, let's address the first thing that Kirk Bush and Ryan Blaney both uh, talked about. I, I can't address and really tell you why they feel like that Extra laps were run under caution. Uh, They felt like that everything was cleaned up. But NASCAR makes sure, and in this situation, wanted to make sure that the track was completely clean. So I can't really address that and and know why that. As a driver, you wanted to get going as quickly as possible when you know that fuel could become an issue. I will say this. I totally agree with the call that NASCAR made at the end of this race. I know this wreck happened. It happened towards the end of the pack there, uh, away from the start-finish line that they were racing back to. So we can see everything take place. We've seen this a number of times here talking. The 32 car gets in the wall, but he goes down off the track and and actually into the grass. Uh, We saw Chase Elliott uh, get involved and and also uh, Kyle Busch. So they're all getting down away from the racetrack and down in the grass or moved on from there totally away from anything that could happen. Now, I know the fans have, have said for years they wanna see these races end under green conditions, back to the checkered flag. Many people in the media have expressed their concerns about the, the caution being thrown at times and not letting the race play out. This was a perfect example and opportunity for NASCAR to do that. They have done this in the past, more when wrecks have happened on the backstretch where the racing's not gonna get back to where that incident took place. Everything was fine with this. And what I'll say is, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to ask NASCAR to to get in this situation and make a call to let this end under green and race back to the start finish line, then you can't complain whenever something happens. It it can't be done both ways. Yes, it is a call that NASCAR has to make. I I understand what Kirk Bush is saying there, and I understand his frustration. From a driver's standpoint, uh, you you hate that these things go against you. You're just hoping, and NASCAR tells drivers this all the time, you hope that things will even out somewhere down the way, and, and he'll get the benefit of uh, a call in this type situation before. So I applaud NASCAR for letting them race. Uh, I hate that these guys ran out of gas. It was going to be a great finish. There was a great finish anyway. Uh, The incident on Saturday in the truck race, I'll have to say I was watching that. I was a little surprised with that being so far down the backstretch that as these trucks crashed and and went to the inside. This wasn't going to be an area that they were going to be racing back to. I actually thought NASCAR in this situation might let these drivers race back because the start-finish line is way away from this. They would have been slowed down completely. But, again, it's a ball-and-strike call. And and we, for those of us that watch baseball, you see two pitches back-to-back. One's called a strike and one's called a ball. Uh, And that's just the way that, that it is in the mind. And, The NASCAR is in a tough position. They're wanting this to play out because that's what they've heard. They want to make this happen. Uh, But uh, we have to let them do their job. And these things happen so quickly. Making a split-second decision is tough. But I really like them allowing this race to play out.
5: DJ, I'm going to agree with you. You can't have it both ways. But I think you can maybe look at it. In two ways, and what I mean by that is NASCAR has been very consistent about ensuring fans get green flag finishes for more than 14 years. That's when the current version of the NASCAR overtime policy started was in 2004. So I think they've been consistent on that front and trying to say we're going to end races under green whenever possible to make sure fans get their money's worth. But they've also been very protective of their safety record, and I think in this case, While you can say, yes, NASCAR maybe should be conscious about what's going on around the cars, they also need to be conscious about what's going on inside the cars. And this is an organization that's been much more uh, attuned to head injuries and concussions and baseline testing. And they've made a lot of progress, I think, in the safety area. So I think you can raise a valid point in saying, well, is it fair just to judge whether you throw the caution based on you know whether or not there are cars around it or you should, should you only be worried about the person inside the car? Because as we saw, I mean, Matt Benedetto hit the wall head on and there have been injuries and fatalities before at Talladega in situations like that. So maybe when you're throwing a caution in this case, is it better to err on the side of caution and throw it regardless and balance it out more towards safety rather than entertainment for the fans and getting a green flag finish?
2: Yeah, that's, you make a great point there, Nate, and I agree 100% as far as the safety side of it and what uh, – that that's the, the way that if you're going to decide to throw a caution in this situation, it's simply because of the safety issues for everyone involved. I was told that and heard that uh, and have even read that NASCAR was getting uh, word from their uh, spotters around the track, and in particular down in turns one and two, that the drivers were okay, they were moving, and, and everything was fine there, so I think they – quickly made the decision in having a little bit of time uh, that the drivers were okay and weren't going to need immediate assistance there. So, uh, But you're exactly right. Uh, regardless of anything and everything, no matter how much we all want to see these races play out, uh, certainly if there is need uh, for the ambulance to roll and the safety equipment to roll, then it's at that point in time NASCAR has to say, okay, we can't allow this to happen. We have to, to stop the race right at this point, throw the caution, and, and move forward. And I think that's the way that they look at everything and, and make sure they have all the facts before anything is done and a place as big as talladega allows them to take a little bit more time to make sure that they are making the right call there
4: yeah the track size has to factor into this in some way nate as well because nascar is in a difficult spot this is a a difficult and potentially very dangerous call to make in haste based on the feedback that you're getting just second by second. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of time to process what could potentially be a situation that has a lot of risk when it comes to safety. Right.
5: I mean, I think NASCAR is kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't in this situation. And and the, the track size is a really good point, too, that, that DJ makes. I mean, if this happens at a Bristol or Richmond or Martinsville, I mean, the, the yellow comes out immediately because the track's obviously going to be blocked and they're going to be around much quicker the front of the field will to to be at the accident scene
4: all right coming up uh kyle larson made some revealing comments shall we say about his team's performance after sunday's race we're going to hear what those were and what they might mean for the 42 team going forward the dominance at stewart haas racing is on full display can anybody stop their momentum before the cup series gets to miami Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. had stellar regular seasons. Now they find themselves struggling in the playoffs. Are they going to be the ones to turn things around before it's too late. Plus, we kick off our celebration of NASCAR America's upcoming 1000th episode. Plenty of shenanigans still to come here today. Stay with us.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by mobile one annual protection proven protection for 20,000 miles.
4: NASCAR is done at Kansas Arrowhead Stadium is going to be rocking Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs taking on Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals football night in America is at seven Eastern kickoff is at 820 Sunday night and only on NBC we know that Clint Boyer is a big Chiefs fan and things are going well all around for Boyer and the rest of the Stewart Haas foursome in the round of 12 the group has led 85 percent of the laps at Dover and Talladega combined 85 percent Let's hear some reaction from SHR following Sunday's race. It's a very different Talladega for me.
2: I really enjoyed leading the race, working with my teammates. I'm really happy that Stuart Haas car won. But the four of us, I've never seen so much synergy. And we knew we were going to have to race when we got to Kansas. It just would have been nice to have the win. We're here to win.
7: You're above the cut line after that day.
3: Yeah, it was a great day for Stuart Haas. I'm just so, so happy and proud to be and those cars on a day like today, all the army of, of uh, employees behind Stewart Haas to make these four cars go fast. What a weekend um, on their behalf. I mean, I,
2: that was the easiest Talladega I've ever had in my life, and it is because of the rocket ships that they brought us. And right from the beginning, we were able to control the race and, and do the things that it took to Uh, get our cars together and and we could just we could just run faster than everybody else and you know if you didn't want to if you didn't want to tag along you got left behind so just that that all goes back to the race shop and the engine shop and and everybody who who does uh, all the work on these cars and I'm just lucky to ride it hats off to the drivers and crew chiefs
5: for uh, you know executing the plan everybody gave and take a little bit when they needed to let everybody get in line and uh, you know we, we knew we had strong race cars um We've had them all along. Um, we just haven't had things go our way. Um, so, this is a pretty awesome day for Stuart Haas. A uh, couple of cars that uh, really needed to make some stage points up after last week. Um, that, was, uh, that was pretty demoralizing to, uh, to our group. So, I think it's a statement that uh, we don't quit, we don't give
2: up, we, uh, we just race harder.
4: Tony Stewart posted this tweet after the race, total dominance, so pumped for Eric Almirola. I've known Eric since 2004 when he came to Gibbs. I knew he'd get to victory lane with Stuart Haas Racing. It was just a matter of time. <laughs> to Clint Boyer's point, Nate, it's hard to race against rocket ships. Yeah. And that is yeah. what Stuart Haas Racing showed up with over the weekend. Explain the commitment that Tony Stewart and the rest of the organization has made to Identifying that they have had success here and saying, I'm going to go win this race. Right.
5: I think it's twofold, Carolyn. One is that Tony Stewart made a point of going, as you saw in our pre race coverage yesterday, Countdown to Green, NASCAR America. Every time you went to a Stuart Haas car, Tony Stewart was there talking to the driver. And I think he was making the point, we've got to stay closed up in this four-car Amada, which they did. They led 122 green flag laps, first, second, third, and fourth, which is just incredible. And then I think the other part of it, Carolyn, is that the team was planning for this months ago. I mean, this race was won in this manner that they had these four rocket ships Uh, Just a long time ago, probably right after the last race at Talladega in April, where the cars raced very similarly. Everybody knew it was going to be more of a handling race. And stewart House Racing threw tons of man hours and money and time at building cars that were optimized for this kind of Talladega racing. And when this race happened yesterday, that commitment from the drivers to stay closed up with each other, with the team's commitment to ensure they had the cars that were going to be better than anybody else's because they spent so much time preparing them, it was those two things in confluence made, made the win.
4: Yeah, you know, DJ, a lot of people were asking us during Victory Lap on social media whether or not all four Stuart Haas cars are going to end up heading to Miami as championship contenders as a result of what we've seen.
2: Yeah, just amazing what we've seen. Not just, uh, you know, yesterday was eye-opening. I've never seen anything like that. Drivers willing to cooperate. They they understood their position. I was really wanting to see, at the end, the four of them decide this out for themselves and see exactly what was going to happen there between them because they had done such a tremendous job all day long. You know, for the most part, they had the fastest cars, the best engines, and even at, through one point, and I know it didn't work out this way at the end, but they were getting probably as good a fuel not, mileage, if not better, than everyone else uh, until there at the end whenever Harvick had to pit and and then of course Kurt ran out but uh, just everything done the the, the right way but you go back just a week they did the same thing at a difficult track in Dover, Delaware so uh, it's just amazing this organization has put themselves right at the top uh, very clearly could have four uh, of the final eight and you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could be racing among each other uh, those four for the championship at at Homestead Miami so uh, uh, you just really have to, to tip your cap to them. Uh, Tony Stewart and Gene have done a tremendous job of organizing the, the right crew chiefs with the right drivers and, and all the right people around him. Uh, and that's just what, what they've been able to do. I th- one thing that really impressed me yesterday, the two drivers that were sitting outside the top eight when the day started amassed the most points. Now, I know one of them ended up being the winner in Eric Almirola, so he moved on, but he needed points. Both he and Clint Boyer both needed points. They needed stage points, every point that they could gather throughout the day. Uh, Almirola was doing that before uh, the door opened up and he went on to win, and then Clint Boyer finished second across the board and amassed as many points as you can get, uh, basically, almost without winning the race. So uh, you have to credit those drivers for understanding their position and what they needed to do, went out and got the job done.
4: Out of the group overall, Kevin Harvick has been the alpha here from the very beginning. Most dominant driver at Seward Haas Racing all year long. He was trading wins with Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. for the majority of the season. But the question now is, are the big three still a big threat? You've got only one win between this group now in eight races. And when you look at what they've done in the round of 12, Nate, particularly at the end with Lap Sled and Martin Truex Jr. and some of these other numbers here as it relates to Kyle Busch, I'll pose it to you, are they still a threat?
5: I mean, just based off playoff points, I think there's still gonna be factors, but yeah, those numbers are not as eye-popping as we saw from this trio earlier. In the season, and especially I look at Kyle Busch, Carolyn, and this is a guy who has really only had one good race, the race he won at Richmond through the first half of the playoffs. And he struggled at Las Vegas. He struggled at Dover. They weren't a factor at Talladega. I think if if you're looking for some good news as as a Kyle Busch fan, if you are one. it it lays out better for him from here forward. The first five tracks are essentially outliers to some degree with there's not going to be another Roval, obviously. There's no Dover. There's no plate race remaining. And Vegas is the only track that really is a predictor, I think, for the rest of the playoffs. You have three mile and a half tracks like Vegas, Kansas, Texas, Homestead, Miami Speedway over the final five races. So, if you're, and Kyle Bush has one at Martinsville, he has one at Phoenix, he's the defending winner at Martinsville. So I think there are signs there that it lays out well, but so far it has not gone well for Kyle Bush. And he's got 55 playoff points, so you can't discount that. That still makes him a factor in getting that final four. But if, he, if the team continues to run the way they have the first half, it might be an uphill battle that we weren't expecting for that team.
4: DJ, I feel like Nate is exactly right that the Never tracks here point. are the key.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right and, and makes great points there uh, about all of these and, and what to expect. You know, I said before the playoffs started that I thought Las Vegas was going to give us a really good glimpse in to who what to expect from these drivers and teams. Who was ready for this uh, as we move forward? Uh, and, and I thought that the Ford showed that they were ready. I thought Stuart Haas Racing has showed us from the very beginning of these playoffs that they had everything prepared and were ready for every type of track that was going to be uh, thrown at them. Uh, Kansas has been a track that over the years, I know Kyle Busch has won at every track, but uh, over the years, uh, it's been a place that has uh, been tough on him. Now, on the other side of that, Truex uh, has won two of the last three and and uh, is very good there. Can they rebound this weekend and really make something and show us that they are still in contention? Kyle Busch's body of work uh, that he did in the regular season and, and doing everything right with the wins, getting finishes, uh, winning the regular season, and amassing all of those players points certainly is going to help him uh, in this situation. But uh, they've got some work to do if they plan on uh, competing with these Fords because right now they have everything from the aerodynamics to the engine working in their favor.
4: All right, coming up, we are going to focus in on Chip Ganassi racing and Kyle Larson like we promised earlier in the show. Frustrating round of 12. It continued on Sunday. Can the 42 team recover and save their season next week at Kansas? Kyle Larson unfiltered when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. Here is where the playoff leaderboard stands after Talladega. Big names below the cut line, including Kyle Larson, who's finished outside the top ten at both Dover and Talladega. Larson now 26 points below the cut line and facing elimination at Kansas. It has been a difficult and frustrating stretch for Kyle Larson, and he's been vocal about that as of late. Here's some insight into Larson's mindset Entering the Talladega race, after finishing 12th last week at Dover, Larson said, quote, there was a lot of times throughout the race where I wanted to give up and I wish I hit the wall head on. We're going to need a lot of people to have a lot of issues to make it to the next round. That was last week. After finishing 11th yesterday, here's what he told Dave Burns.
6: I don't know. It doesn't uh, really matter, I guess. Um, it's had a really slow car all weekend, uh, so I was... disappointing embarrassing at times uh, especially in practice and qualifying Um, but we were able to get a 11th so i mean salvaged a decent day but still in a position where we have to win next week so um like i said 11th doesn't really matter i mean second wouldn't have mattered so um, just need to have a good weekend next week kansas has always been a good track for us so um, you know that's promising. Going to a place where you know we've ran well at, you know, led a lot of laps, um, have challenged for wins uh, there previously. So hopefully we can go there next week and, and have a good race and uh, do something special.
7: I'm gonna try to just kind of bury this weekend as quickly as possible, then, and move on to next week.
6: Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, I mean, I'd like you'd like to bury it, but then at the same time. You would know, be nice to invest some money into our super speedway cars. Uh, you know, money and time. You know, we don't. We focus so much on mile and a half stuff, which is you know obviously important. But um, these these plate races mean a lot. You know, there's a lot of points to be made at you know Daytona and Talladega, and and I feel like we haven't really tried to improve as an organ as an organization uh, really since I've been uh, at CGR. So hopefully, we have. One more race with this package, uh, Daytona 500. Uh, Maybe we can put some emphasis on that and try and go have a good good 500 in uh, February.
4: All right, so before we unpack those comments, let's get the latest from Dave today, who is at Chip Ganassi's Race Shop.
7: So what do things look like for Kyle Larson heading into the Kansas cutoff race? Well, let's take a look back at the May race at Kansas, which may give us a clue. Recall that in qualifying, Kyle spun, and they had to replace a tire on that car, requiring the 42 to start the day at the rear of the field. But by the halfway mark, he was up to the front, and he led 101 laps on the day. No driver led more laps than Kyle Larson. But it got a little bit weird near the end. Remember, he tangled with Ryan Blaney. He also tangled with some loose lug nuts of his own. And he finally recovered to finish fourth, showing that that 42 team really does have some speed that they can take to the Kansas Speedway. You're going to hear a lot of drivers and maybe even some commentators say this week that so-and-so needs a good run or this is a must-win situation for a driver. And Kyle Larson certainly fits those categories. But they proved in May that they've got the speed that it takes to get there. And it may just be the way that the driver finds himself for the first time in his career moving on to the round of eight.
4: Okay, Dave, thanks for that. So, DJ, I want to get back to the comments that Kyle Larson made after the race, where essentially he called out his organization and said that they need to invest more money and time at these restrictor plate tracks. Is he right or wrong about that? And furthermore, and maybe more importantly, does that matter? Should he be so vocal in this way uh, as a young driver at this organization?
2: You know, he's probably right in what he's saying. Uh, he's just saying it in, in the wrong place. Uh, it's not to not to tell the world uh, what you need to do, and and that the dollars aren't being spent. In, in that, you know, I, I understand that he's trying to let his fans know uh, why he thinks they they perform so poorly uh, this weekend and, and have been uh, at the plate tracks for the most part, and, and that that that's, that's that's not a focus on what they do at Chip Ganassi Racing. So I think that. Taking that frustration, this is a frustrated driver right now. Things haven't been going his way at tracks that he expects to compete at a high level. Uh, When you go and you're 1.7 seconds uh, off in qualifying, uh, we talk about all the time that everybody has a chance at, at Talladega because of the draft. He knew going into that race, he had no chance whatsoever. He could somehow get a top 10. That was going to be a great day, and he almost made that happen with everything that happened around him. But you can just tell the level of frustration. I think and looking at this, and Dave was talking about in his report going back to Kansas where he did some good things back in May, my concern is, is that, When the Chevrolets were all struggling at the beginning of the year with their cars, Kyle Larson was performing at a high level, Um, but since everybody else has, has made their cars better, he hasn't performed uh, as well as him. So it was like they had maximized their car out. They had nowhere else to go or haven't found anything else that's working. So I'm concerned about a track this weekend where he basically needs a win. Can he go and, and make that happen? But I think that his comments that we've heard uh, probably since Bristol, uh, there's been three or four times uh, of his frustration. I understand. Uh, and when you put a microphone in front of you right after that, uh, it makes it tough. But those would be things better said uh, in their meetings.
4: To your point, DJ. after winning four races last year, he's winless. And if he doesn't win at Kansas, that winless streak for the 42 car is going to be at 42 straight. Interesting that he used the word embarrassing. You know, he's embarrassed that the car isn't doing what he wants it to do or that the organization is not where he wants it to be. As a a member of the media on the other side of this, you know, Kyle Larson to be straightforward and to always kind of offer an honest assessment, which I'm sure is something that maybe you appreciate.
5: Absolutely. As a journalist, Carolyn, I mean, Kyle Larson has no filter and I'm never going to criticize a driver for being too candid, but... As someone who is leading a team of a couple of hundred employees, this is something that Kyle Larson has struggled with because it is easy to hurt the feelings of the people at Chip Ganassi Racing when you're being so blunt as he always is. And again, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that he is so candid and he is so honest, and I don't want drivers to restrain themselves too much. But as DJ said, there is a fine line there where when you air too much of the dirty laundry in public, you invariably end up offending, I think, some of the people who you work for. And where Kyle struggles with this, I think he's talked about it this year, actually, about being more of a leader. When he raced sprint cars, which is where he came from, of course, he had three or four members on his sprint car team. And when you're speaking bluntly there, you don't have to worry about ruffling nearly as many feathers. You can make things right a lot easier. And now he's tasked as a 26-year-old leading a company of 200 people. And when he's this honest, ...with his opinions about things, saying we need to spend more money, we need to do this or that. I think, again, it's just going to maybe send the wrong message or maybe set the wrong tone. And he's cognizant of that. I mean, at the Bristol race, he was very upset with his crew throughout that entire race. He ended up finishing second. He apologized to crew chief Chad Johnston after that race and said, I need to do a better job of being a leader. So I think we're just witnessing... Unfortunately for Kyle Larson, in full public view, the evolution, the maturation of somebody who everybody expects is going to be a champion superstar in Cup.
4: Bristol, Dover, and now Talladega with some pretty harsh criticism (laughs) of the organization. You wonder what that's going to look like this week and whether he can, you know, maybe finesse that a little bit. Yeah, before they get to Kansas, where they would really like to get a win. Um, As we approach our 1000th NASCAR America episode, We're going to relive some of our best moments this week, and we start with a look at grassroots racing in America, a special edition of My Home Track on the way when we come back. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series playoffs blown into Kansas this weekend on NBC. 30 years after his father won it all, Chase Elliott wants to win his own championship. So who is going to join Elliott and Almirola in the round of eight? We are gonna find out Sunday, 2.30 Eastern on NBC.
2: Hey guys, this is Bubba Wallace, and I just wanna say congratulations to NASCAR America on their 1,000th episode. Cheers, and here's to a thousand more.
3: Hey, it's Clip Warrior. 1,000 episodes of NASCAR America. Appreciate your guys'
2: coverage of our sport. You make us all look good. Continue the hard work. Thank you.
4: <laughs> That's really nice. We are celebrating a big milestone this weekend on NASCAR America, our 1,000th show. Over the last few years, we've really worked to showcase different aspects of motorsports and have some fun along the way. And one of the things that we really did well is my home track, the journey that we took across America to showcase grassroots racing across the country. <laughs> very special events at Magic Valley, double-decker racing, the Winter Blast 100 on the snow-covered quarter-mile, the crowd-pleasing jet drags, that's a jet engine inside a truck.
0: It's amazing what little hometown tracks can do in having that family environment.
4: He took Vicky on their first date to the track. He won the race, which bears his father's name. Look at the safer
3: barrier out oh, yeah. there. It's called pine trees.
0: <laughs> the safer barrier is called pine, pine trees. trees. Yeah, I love firm. that. You
4: can see those tractor tires lining the track. I'm not sure I'd want to hit those.
2: They might grab the car a little bit. Like beating and banging and some fighting on the front stretch and in the pit. You can see right here, not only are the turns steep with the banking of 37 degrees, it's very, very rough. After the race was over, if you got out on the front straightaway and walked on it it would literally pull your shoes off your feet it was so sticky
4: here is the wildest thing about south alabama speedway in victory lane the winner of the rattler 250 is greeted by an alabama rattlesnake hear that
0: That's a rattler.
4: Last year's winner Blake Hahn had a special guest in victory lane to give him the trophy Parker, a 900 pound grizzly bear.
6: I'm not sure I wanted to win that race. He could eat that trophy and him at the
2: same time.
4: Whose idea was it to kiss the cow at the milk bowl invitational? That
2: is not a cow, it's a genuine Vermont beauty.
4: Everything starts at these short tracks in NASCAR, it's fun to highlight them. Oh man, that was so much fun. So, our 1000th episode is this Friday. We really hope you're with us at six. Jimmy Johnson and Clint Boyer are going to be there as well. I love that trip that we took <laughs> um, 50 tracks, 50 states, 50 days. It was just, it was so much fun. Cows, but, snakes. yeah, cow's no. Well, Don't call it a cow. That's right. If Ken Squire's listening, yeah, it's a Vermont beauty. Uh, you were here for show number one.
5: I was. I wasn't here, but I was in Daytona. Some guy named Donart Jr. won his second Daytona five hundred and I did a a report standing a few
2: feet away from his confetti covered car.
4: Can you believe it, DJ, that it's
2: we're at a thousand? Uh, it's hard to believe, but what a great ride it's been. How much fun. And those shows were great. Where we uh, talked about all of those short tracks, just so many things. I was glad I stayed away from some of those uh, because a trophy <laughs> is fine with me. No rattlesnakes or anything like that. Yeah,
4: <laughs> animals seem to be a common thing. I think by show 1000, we're starting to figure out what we're doing here on NASCAR America. We'll see. It's going to be a really fun week. So we appreciate you watching. We are proud of what we've done here, and we're going to continue to bring you more NASCAR America shows to come. Meantime, uh, Eric Almarola did not win at Talladega all by himself we're going to salute the rest of the hard-working members of the number 10 team with our pit crew review that's straight ahead. Stay with us on NASCAR America.
3: time, so it's been fun as a group. Johnny's doing a great job, Eric is, and I'm proud of everybody on this team, so I think now that we finally broke through, I'm looking forward to the next few races. I feel like we're a strong team, so uh, everybody's a believer on this team. Really, really looking forward to the end of the season, so thanks to everybody, all the fans out there, and uh, we'll be sure to get it done for you guys.
4: After coming so close on several occasions in 2018, the 10 team finally getting to party in victory lane at Talladega. It was also the first win for Johnny Klausmeier as a full-time crew chief. Back in 2016, he won as Kurt Busch's interim crew chief at Pocono. Amarola was one of three playoff drivers who finished in the top 10 at Dega. The other seven were non-playoff drivers as we check in once again with Dave Burns.
7: Well, there's always a few good stories outside the fate of the playoff drivers, and Talladega was no exception. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. came into the weekend really hoping not to mess up the efforts of any of the playoff drivers. He didn't do that and by the end of the race he had a full tank of fuel and was pressing other Fords toward the front. Stenhouse ended up finishing third. In sixth position, AJ Allmendinger. AJ told me before the race, I go to bed nervous at Talladega, I wake up nervous at Talladega, this place scares me to death and I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, what happened was teammates playing the drop back strategy and going forward at the end. Again, Almendinger ended up charging to sixth. Question for you, how did Jimmy Johnson finish seventh after bouncing off the wall on lap 63? Answer, I don't know. (laughs) Something about never stop improving comes to mind, or perhaps a little bit of magic left in the Jimmy and Chad era. And Regan Smith finishing 10th in the 95 car. He ran through the treacherous waters of Talladega like Ramius navigating the Red October through Red Route 1. A great run for Smith, again, subbing in the 95 car. And what about our broadcast colleague and part-time driver, Brendan Gaughan. Remember back at Daytona he finished 12th Sunday at Talladega another 12th place finish. No one embodies having fun behind the wheel like Brendan Gaughan and no track underscores the unpredictable nature of NASCAR like Talladega.
4: Our thanks to Dave Burns for that. He brings up a great point, kind of running through the field of all these other drivers who are competing. And We've been so focused on specifically what's happening in the playoffs. But do you see any non-playoff drivers playing spoiler here with this last group of races? I
5: do, and I think you can start with Denny Hamlin, who since being eliminated from the playoffs has now finished second at Dover, fourth at Talladega. And his team seems to be finding its stride getting its momentum back that it clearly didn't have in the first round. And he has wins at all five of the remaining tracks on the schedule in this in this season. So I think he could definitely get back to victory lane. And, oh, by the way, the last time he missed the playoffs in 2013, he won the season finale at Homestead Miami Speedway. So I think well, a lot of signs point to Denny Hamlin winning.
2: What do you think, DJ? Yeah, that's a great point, Nate. Uh, Denny Hamlin right there. Where was this Denny Hamlin in that first round? This is what we all expected, you know, to be here battling and, and moving into the round of eight. Didn't happen. Uh, no, it's difficult, but uh, nice to see him running better and could definitely be a factor in there. I think you have to look down the road at Martinsville, uh, which will uh, be a, play a big part uh, in who's moving on. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, you have to look at him possibly uh, spoiling things there as many times as he's won there. That was a great report by Dave. I always like to, to give these guys and, and look at who has done a really good job at opportunities they don't get a lot of times. I pointed out yesterday on the pit box with with Steve LaTarque during the race uh, how good a job Regan Smith was doing. Raced around that top 10 and inside the top 10 much of the day and then to get a top 10 finish. So uh, always fun to see that and who might step up next.
4: An important reminder that wins matter for not just the drivers who are in the playoffs. It would matter a whole heck of a lot to a whole whole list of drivers right. in the field each and weekend.
5: Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss in particular, I mean, Five races left to get one last win together.
4: Yeah, and that winless streak this season. All right, coming up, we're going to check in on the updated fantasy standings after Sunday's race at Talladega. Which member of the NASCAR on NBC team sits atop the leaderboard at the halfway point of the playoffs? Find out next.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles.
4: yourself a pat on the back at home if you had Eric Amarola on your NASCAR fantasy live team speaking of which here is the top five broadcasters in our NASCAR America League Salid Diffie still ahead after Talladega but not by much only by five points over Marty Snyder and Jeff Burton Steve LaTarte and Roto World's Dan Beaver, also in the top five as well Eric Amarola 18 to 1 odds heading into the weekend so DJ I know that you don't do much betting but if you did, you may be aware that that could be a pretty significant payout if you had the wherewithal. I'm pretty sure the Beeve on Roto World mentioned something about Eric Almarola heading into the weekend that he might be somebody to watch out for.
2: Yeah, the last two weeks in particular with Chase Elliott, uh, he was a a big dog, uh, underdog basically and and got good odds uh, at Dover and and then Eric Almirola. You had to look at that because certainly uh, having one plate races, almost won the Daytona 500 this year. So uh, if you were fortunate enough to have that, uh, good payout.
4: What you both have in common, both you and Nate Ryan, DJ, is that you have Kevin Harvick winning it all. And I have Kyle Busch picked to win everything in our NASCAR America fantasy lineup. I think you two are in pretty solid shape. And I'm not ready to give up on the 18 yet, DJ, I don't think, especially with the tracks that we have coming up. I just, for whatever reason, given how talented he is and the way that that team executes, I think that they've got a decent shot of of really getting back in this thing. What do you think?
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But I I think certainly Harvick is still the favorite to, to do that. But if I pick that right, that might be the only thing I've picked right uh, since we started this. <laughs> Same here, DJ. That's
5: the only way I'm going to salvage. I, I was so good, like, the first two segments of this fantasy, and then I get to the playoffs, and I've completely... Well, Steve the LaTarte
4: picked Kyle Larson as his okay. champion, so they've got significant, that makes better. Yeah, they've got significant <laughs> work to do. And when you look at the drivers just quickly below the cut-up line, after Talladega heading into this wild elimination race... All those drivers, Brad Keselowski on down. I mean, could you imagine seeing Brad Keselowski in there when the playoffs started and Ryan Blaney, Larson, and Bowman? Bowman in a must-win. Everybody else almost in a similar position. We're going to have to see how it shakes out this weekend. That's all for NASCAR America. For all your news, you can always log on to NBCSports.com NASCAR. We'll be back Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern with Scannell Talladega. Same time, same place. Thanks for watching.